Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Mary Beth West, Senior Strategist of Fletcher Marketing PR, and I am getting to pull full-on hosting duties today. My fabulous co-host, Kelly Fletcher, decided to get her fabulous on and jet set to New York for the weekend for both some business and pleasure. Wishing Kelly a great time in the big city. And while the cat's away, the remaining mouse will go the nepotism route and invite a family member onto the podcast. In my husband's family, we have some bona fide media celebrities, so I've invited one of them here today, and we're going to riff about media and journalism, politics, creativity, and the whole shoot and match. So we are joined by two-time Pulitzer Prize-nominated editorial cartoonist, Marshall Ramsey. Welcome, Marshall. See, you just broke everybody's hearts because they were thinking, Dave Ramsey's here. <laughs> Dave, I love Dave. I want that fine peace guy. It's wah, good to be wah. here. Thank you. <laughs> I am so glad that you're here. So you've got to tell us, um, I'm going to be giving you a proper introduction here in just a minute, but everyone's going to want to know what's brought you back here to Knoxville today. Well, because I love Knoxville to of begin course. with, and I have a 17-year-old who is on a college tour, and we are here to see Garth Brooks. Ah, yes. Yes. We have friends in high places because we're going to be sitting up at the very top on the lights of Nayland <laughs> Stadium. <laughs> Those tickets were much cheaper. I see. I yeah. see. Well, I'm sure you'll be in very good company. Of course, you know, they're now singing. I've got friends in low places during the games now. I didn't know if you knew this, but during the home games, everyone's having their cell phone up in the air and th they play it throughout the whole stadium. And everybody has the, wow. you know, they're going back and That's forth. That's a little and, different than third down for what? Yeah, yeah exactly. they used to play. Oh, gosh, that was a nightmare. But anyway. We, we digress. Uh, I was about to say, this could turn into a football <laughs> show really quickly. Well, when we're actually very notorious about going down rabbit holes, but that's okay. I want, do want to give you a proper introduction here and tell our listeners more about your profile. Although I guarantee that most of our listeners who are here in Tennessee already know you very well by name, and especially most of our listeners being in media and public relations, and they know about your profile in the industry. And certainly our listeners in the state of Mississippi know you and your work by decades of reputation. You grew up in Georgia. I did. And that's, I don't know, all we have listeners there too who know you there as well. And do you attended the University of Tennessee yourself? I did. And your first editorial cartoons were in high school, but the first time I ever saw your work was when I myself was a student at the University of Tennessee. I can remember being in the freshman dorms, Humes Hall, and you know, I always had to traipse back up to my eight o'clock class in the morning begrudgingly, but I always picked up my copy of the Daily Beacon on my way out the door and always looked forward to your editorial cartoons because you had them in there pretty much every day. Five days a week. I always tell everybody that UT gave me an education and the Daily Beacon gave me a career. Mm. I think yeah. that's fair. Yeah, yeah. But tell us about the start of your work there and like what kind of that budding start of a career beginning there, how, how that evolved into, okay, I really can do this for a living. Yeah, I'll back up just a little bit because when I was eight years old, I walked up to my dad. My dad's Dave Ramsey too. We have no originality when it comes to naming practices <laughs> in my family. So I walked up to dad and, you know, I grew up in Georgia. Jimmy Carter was president. We had Watergate. We had all this stuff. And, and my sisters and I would have to sit around the table and talk about 
what was going on, current mm-hmm. events. And right. I remember opening up the newspaper and there were these really funny Mad Magazine kind of cartoons that would show Jimmy Carter big teeth and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, that yeah. is so cool. I want to do that. Because yeah. I love to draw. Mom figured out early on is how she could keep me quiet in church. So she gave me crayons and paper. I was before the church me kids too. bulletin. Oh, that worked. Yeah. See, I turned it into a living. Yeah. But I remember telling dad that. I was eight. And I said, dad, I'm going to be an editorial cartoonist. And he said... Did you? I had no and, idea. Yeah. And he wow. looked at me and he said, and you're going to be the best one ever. Which he had to be thinking I was the strangest kid on the planet. You know, because, I mean, that's a weird thing to come up to a dad and say. But he said the right things because it lit a fire in me. Because at that point, I knew I was going to make it. Well, at the time, there were 200 jobs in the country. Now there's 11. So it was like... Wait, wait, wait. Okay, let's back up right now. Mm -hmm. Can you say that again? There were 200 jobs in the country at the time that I said that to my father. And there's maybe 11 now. You mean editorial cartooning jobs? Yes. There were 200. Right. And now there are 11. So I could have been an NBA basketball player with the same odds. Better odds. Yeah, but I have less skills at that. So (laughs) trust me. Wow. I mean, how many jobs out there have that quite a finite number of individuals working within them? As Jimmy Buffett so eloquently said, occupational hazard means your occupation is just not around. Now, he was talking about pirates, but I think it does kind of actually work very much for editorial <laughs> Yes, indeed it does. But You're exactly it, right. But, you know, I didn't listen to that. I was like, la, 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 la. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I drew my first cartoon in, in high school, got sent to the principal's office. At that point, I said, this is for me. Because mm-hmm. the issue that I drew about was changed. And I realized, mm-hmm. okay, I can make a difference doing this. So I get to UT. My RA at the time was a guy named Rusty Gray, who is now Russell Gray. He's a lawyer for Baker Donaldson down in Chattanooga. He's oh, just okay. a fantastic yeah. guy. He was yeah. student government president that year. Yeah. For, and, but he was my RA, and he saw that I could do it, and he said, go try out. And I did. Uh, I Originally, and I was like doing it a few times a week, and then initially, eventually, I mean, it turned into an all- five-day-a-week event. That's amazing. Well, it's kind of a shame that we're on an audio medium with this podcast. Oh, my where cartoons we look much better. <laughs> much better. We can't exactly do the show-and-tell retrospective of your work, except later when the podcast posts, we will be sure to reshare some examples from your Twitter feed on the hashtag misinterpreted. But one thing, most recently in 2018, your cartoons memorializing George and Barbara Bush became overnight sentimental sensations globally, landing you everywhere from the today show, CNN, the Washington Post, Jenna Bush Hager's Twitter feed, just to name some. I think your originals of those cartoons are in the Bush Presidential Library, They right? are, and okay. in December, I will be speaking at the Bush Library. Oh, well, tell us about that whole event last year as it unfolded. And we'll talk during this full conversation about really iconic cartoons that you've created over the years. But I think that's so top of mind because it, it, you know, it happened last year. People are still talking about it. I know that it's the pinned tweet at the very top of your Twitter feed. Yes, because I'm um, lazy and putting things that, up there. <laughs> okay. But you know, it's a lot to be proud of. So tell us about how when you created those and I mean, had you, did you have any idea what the reaction was going to be? No. And, and I'll tell you why. Number one, I kind of thought it might be an obvious idea, but I thought wrong. Let me tell you, kind of back up. My mom had passed away from COPD. So when they had mm. said that Barbara was being pulled off of uh, any kind of care and was just going to be kept comfortable, I knew that meant mm-hmm. she was soon to not be with us. And I started thinking about her life, and I thought about John Meacham's excellent biography on the Bush family. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading about Robin. And, you know, here's a right. person who had had everything. I mean, she had wealth. She had a platform. She had a husband who's a president, a son who's a president, a son who's a governor, granddaughter on the Today Show. She 
had pearls. I mean, she had everything, but she had lost a child, which is mm-hmm. the worst thing any parent could face. Okay. And so I was thinking, okay, she's healed. She's whole, you know, and I haven't been to heaven lately. So, you know, mind you, but I just yeah. pictured her right. meeting her child yeah, again and course. being made yeah. whole. And so I didn't do it that night. When I heard she'd passed, I actually was doing my number one job. I do a lot of things. I do radio, television, speaking books, you name it. But that night I was being a dad, so I said, I'll do it in the morning. So I draw it in the morning, post it, and put it up on my Instagram. And within an hour, Jenna had it up on her Instagram. Within an hour. And she said, I don't know who the artist is, but I love her. So for about two hours, I was a woman. Yeah. um, But that was fine. Now my (laughs) wife thinks I actually have some some empathy. Uh, at that point, it was like a slot machine. I mean, yeah. my phone just went off, oh, my, yeah. you know, because once the, fam- oh, of the family approved of it, obviously, right, it kind of, right. and it was shown at the funeral. It was, I mean, it was amazing. Right. I got a call from the Today Show and, and one of the producers, and they said, Can we use your cartoon on our platforms? Which is a nice way of saying, Can we use your cartoons for free? Right. But, right. I, but at least they asked permission. No, they did. They did. Yeah. That, that's obviously one of the reasons why editorial cartoons aren't around. But we'll, well, talk about well that later. yeah, of course. It's hard to monetize. Right. Uh, but that said, this wasn't about money for me. It was like, okay, the family loved it. Jenna loved it. Sure, go ahead. And so I didn't think anything of it. The next morning, and I know what it's like at your house. You've got kids and, and I've got kids. Getting out in the morning is like putting on D-Day five days a week, mm-hmm. trying to get out of the house by seven o'clock. And so we were running late. There was gnashing of teeth and tears and turn on the TV and Jenna's doing a package on her grandmother. And at the very end, they show my cartoon. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah. And Savannah yeah. and Hoda are like, oh, that Marshall Ramsey is the most sweet and sensitive man in the world. My wife's like going, that's the biggest crock I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> And, and it was like surreal. It was like an out-of-body oh, moment. Wow. Here in Savannah yeah. and Hoda talking sweet about you. Kathy Lee comes in with her glass of wine. I like that Marshall Ramsey, you know. <laughs> and it was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, my phone was lighting up at that point. I was like getting oh, like, no texts from right. ex-girlfriends right. I had restraining orders against. You know, I was like, you cannot contact me. We've discussed that through lawyers. <laughs> well, I mean, it just went super viral. I... You know, yeah. I mean, when you start seeing Fox and CNN agreeing <laughs> on something, you realize that you're up for a Nobel yeah, oh, Peace ex- Prize. Exactly. <laughs> at the least, at the least. I tell you, it was really wonderful. I mean, the University of Tennessee acknowledged it. Yeah. That was neat. It was nice yeah. to hear about that. I had friends acknowledge it. The family, of course, loved it. And what I didn't realize was about the time I thought that idea, George, President Bush, George, mm-hmm. was talking to his mom about Robin. And so this was something that was on the tip of the family's tongues and on their mm-hmm. hearts. And mm-hmm. so I managed to catch lightning in a bottle you and did. didn't realize it. You know, and That's I was serendipity tell- right there. And I can look back at my career, and I, there are some cartoons where I think, well, that's a God moment. Well, you, sure. You know, and right. I mean, it's like, right. I, of course, it's the parable of the talents, obviously. I mean, I know where my talent comes from and I know how I need to use it, but it was just a question of, okay, this is pretty amazing. Mary Beth, I'll tell you what was so special about that. Yes, the family loved the cartoon, and that means yeah. the world to me. But where it's truly special, and I'll show you on my phone, I got a message today from a really neat guy who'd lost their beautiful little girl to cancer. Mm. And I heard hundreds of stories from parents who had lost their children. Mm-hmm. They bothered to call me or message me, and I sat and listened to every single one of them. And it wasn't just like, oh, well, you've given me hope that I'll see my child again. It was, oh, let me tell you my story. Right. We're all artists. Every single one um, of us wake up every day with a blank canvas. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what we do with that canvas, whether it's our actions, which I guess would be the brushstrokes, and our attitude, which would be the colors, we can make a difference in somebody's life. Do I do that every day? No. I mean, I mean, I feel lucky that if my dog likes me some days, you know, I mean, 
She she does like me because I feed her. But <laughs> well, no, she doesn't. She likes my wife, even though I do feed her. But here's the thing. I mean, we all have that ability. And so I've done six thousand cartoons in Mississippi. That's where the bulk of my career's been. And and I'm very grateful for that. But to know that you've been able to touch somebody's life twice in mm-hmm. one year, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And so, you know, it's very humbling to me. Like I said, it's a talent that I, I'm, I'm borrowing and everything, but it it was neat. And so when George H.W. passed away in November, mm-hmm. you know, I, he, I don't understand how he ever got the wimp thing because the guy was a fighter pilot. Well, well I tell you well, that. I mean, you've got to, you know, looking back to that campaign, you know, against, you oh, know, you, in, you in the early against, 90s. That we, I mean, when uh, of course, I was a college student. We were both college students at yes. that time when all of that was happening. And, and I'm so much older than you, which says <laughs> that I apparently could not get out of college. No, I was going to say you were incredibly young because you're only a few years older yeah, than yeah. me. But yeah, I mean, it it is amazing. We're going to talk in a few minutes about where we are with politics nowadays, but politics can just be so dadgum ugly and create, you know, myths and mythologies and so many inaccurate portraitures. It's all about framing. And caricatures, you know. Well, thank you. I'd like to say I contribute to that. (laughs) But in in a way that it's like long lasting and it, and I think that's very much what happened to, to the to the yeah. senior Mr. Yeah, he was the head the of the President CIA, Bush. which generally they don't allow, you know. Exactly. Exactly. But the but, point is though. But but, but you yeah. but you turned the narrative back around to one what that was accurate, which well, no, I, I th- mean you applied your talent in that way. Well, I think, I think you something t- else happened on that too. And and I think that we as a country were hungry for dignity, for being able to agree on something, right. for not vilifying right. somebody. Right. I think and what I don't care which side you're on. I don't care if you love your person on either side. I mean, that's not what this is about. Right. It's just at the point where, at the end of the day, we just realized, here's a guy, even if I disagreed with him politically, and I'm not saying me personally, but I'm just so, so generally people, it's like, you know, the guy loved his family, and he served our country. Mm-hmm. And so when I did the cartoon, I had him getting out of his TBM Avenger, which was the plane he flew in World right. War II, the largest yeah. single-engine bomber off the aircraft carrier in the uh-huh. Navy. And... That represented service, and then he was greeting, being greeted by his family. So I did yeah. that, and, and I'd, I'd had the idea in my head because I thought he was going to pass away back right after she did, and he lived a little bit longer. So I drew it, and by, I don't know, 1 o'clock in the morning, Brett Bear's talking about it on Fox News, which, by the way, Brett Bear is one of the nicest human beings yeah. on the planet, just to let you know that. And by 3 o'clock, you know, once again, my phone, because I think people were looking for it by that time because they knew what I had done with the other cartoon. Right. By 6 o'clock in the morning, I got a call from Fox and Friends. Hey, can you Skype us? And, of course, my hair's sticking up all over the place because I had three (laughs) hours sleep. And I was like, can I phone in? (laughs) And then I got a call from CNN. Yeah. And they're like, can you do an on-camera with Mm -hmm. us? Which, okay, so I just had gone from Fox and Friends to CNN. Once again, that'll cause you to have a brain brain freeze. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And they said, we'll send you a car. And I was like, I live in Jackson, Mississippi. I don't need a car because the only thing I might hit a deer, <laughs> but I probably will get and there. We on do time. Ha- we do have cars down here, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. We can drive. Um, but then my wife's like, they're going to send a car. So oh, I'm sitting out there at 4:30 right. in the morning. It's like the end of Pretty Woman. You know, the big limo yeah. comes up. <laughs> guy gets out, opens up the door, and has snacks. And I said, can you do me a favor? And he said, yes, sir, Mr. Ramsey. What would you like? I said, could you lay on the horn so all my neighbors can see this? <laughs> But it was fun. And, and it's like that scene in Arthur. It really was. Yeah. It was. I'm out the sunroof going, right. Woo, yeah, right. you know, and the deer looking at me like I'm insane. <laughs> it was a wonderful experience. 
but like I said, to hear from the parents, that's what made it really, truly yeah, special. Yeah. Okay. So backing up from all of this, what does editorial cartooning mean to you and mean to you? Paycheck. Well, and in, uh, in addition to that. <laughs> no, <it's> just... <laughs> You cynic. I know. Sorry. <laughs> you, you, I've been in the media too long. Right. But I mean, you have diversified your career portfolio to include radio show, you're a book author of multiple books, one with your famous cousin on financial literacy for kids. I mean, you've really diversified what you've done with your career and applied it in so many different ways. But getting back to that core piece of the editorial cartooning, because it does have the potential to touch people in such really poignant and unique ways, how does that make you feel? Like I said, I was eight years old and you wanted to do it. And I discovered I was good at it. I didn't ask for the business to change. The internet blew up the newspaper model and, mm -hmm. you know, the newspaper model didn't help itself. And we can mm -hmm. go, we could do seven shows well, on that, yes, but I, we're not going to do that I, today. But um, <laughs> but do come back but and I, we will do the But, you know, I'm, I'm getting my master's right now. I'm sitting there uh -huh. in my class and they're talking about, you know, all the mistakes the business made. I'm like, excuse me, I was on the 50-yard I'm with 50 yard line on that because I've been through 18 rounds of layoffs at the <laughs> newspaper and now work for a nonprofit uh, new site, which yeah. is another model, which seems to be working for right now. And, and I really love the people I work with. What it means to me, of course, it's the core of my brand. That's what a lot of people know me for. But back in 2010, I had just been named a Pulitzer finalist a second time and uh, been named a top 100 employee of Gannett. And they called me in the office one day and they said, we're making you part-time. So they cut my pay in half. They cut my benefits. I'm sitting there. It's like, I just, can I do nothing right, people? Well, I just run a marathon and raise $13,000 for cancer research because I'm a cancer survivor. In, in my, your spare time. In my spare time. And my dog had just died in the vet. So it was just literally, <laughs> no, I was yeah. not adulting well that day either. Yeah. But they said, we're going to do that to you. And I just looked at them and started laughing. And they said, why are you laughing? I said, because it's going to be the best thing that ever happened to me. The parable of the talents, and not to give you a Sunday school lesson, but I, I remember when I was in college, I was work, right out of college, I was working as a high school janitor. And I was six months into it, I was still throwing a massive pity party. And I went to church, and they were talking about the parable of the talents, and you had the master who gave his talents to his three servants. And, and I realized I was the servant who was bearing his talent because I was afraid. Oh. And when they said, oh, we're going to cut your pay in half, something lit inside of me. And I started mm -hmm. using the other talents that I had. And cartoonists are weird, generally, in the sense that a lot of us drew pictures just so we could get attention. Like, hey, look at here. I can draw a picture. But we, I feel comfortable talking in front of 5,000 people. I have yeah. no problem doing that. Mm -hmm. Or I don't... And I'm, I'm a decent enough writer. I can write. I can draw. I can do radio. I can do television. So... But I didn't know that until that happened. Mm -hmm. And so people say, are you mad that that happened? I'm like, no, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. The editorial cartoons, though, are the core of what I do. And because we are such a visual society, mm -hmm. even though – and what happened was and, – and the reason why that number went down so greatly was because basically when you lose half your revenue – overnight, like the newspaper business did, they, they obviously have to cut costs. So they get rid of specialized positions. They get rid of movie columnists, the sports mm -hmm. columnists, general costs, and cartoonists. So suddenly, you know, it's hard to figure out how you're going to make a living. But for me, I can put them out there, get the attention, drive social media. I can get speaking gigs off of it. I can do whatever. So it's it's a fascinating, uh, the last 10 years, I've totally blown up my brand and rebuilt it mm -hmm. in a way that I have multiple income streams and been able to 
actually with social media been able to reach a larger audience. Mm-hmm. Well, so. it re- just recently we had a guest on Marcus Hall with he founded his own retailing and it's a Marcus Nelson Denim. It's a business in Knoxville. And he had an illegal gambling operation on the side to help fund his business. That's and a went great to, idea. Exactly right. But went to, I mean, he went to prison, had went, wow. I mean, had to face the music on all of that, but then came back stronger from having yeah. realized and kind of taken ownership of the fact, okay, I made bad decisions here. What do I do now? And this whole, you know, this whole element here that you're talking about of being faced with information and news that you're, you know, it's not very helpful to your cause, but being able to turn it into a positive and realizing that there can be that silver lining, not to sound trite, but it's, you, you had that immediate understanding that, okay, this is going to be an opportunity. Let me tell you where I learned that lesson. I learned that lesson probably about six miles from here on the middle of Fort Lathen Lake. I was eight years old. Uh-huh. My dad, who was 40 at the time, was a big eight-year-old, and he loved to water ski, yeah. and his son wouldn't water ski. So one day, he threw me out in the middle of the lake, and he said, you're not getting out of that lake until you get up on your skis. And he drug me up and down <laughs> that lake until I drank so much of that river water that I have gills <laughs> on the side of my neck. At the very end, right when he was getting frustrated, I popped up, which uh-huh. surprised him, uh-huh. and it surprised me. Uh-huh. And I'm back there in the back. I'm in between the lake. You know, I don't want to get out there. And Dad looks at me, and he gets bored. You did not want my dad to get bored because suddenly he turns the boat as tight as he could to sling me outside the wake, and he starts driving in a circle. So the boat's doing 20. I'm doing 450 miles an hour. And as anybody who knows anything about Ford Loudon Lake, it, there's a lot yeah. of driftwood on yeah. it. And yes, I do I know hit, that lake. Apparently a sequoia. Um, I did like oh five or six of just... <laughs> for those of you who are old like me, you remember the agony of defeat on Wide World of Sports. That was me. So here I am. Xers eight, were the Xers here. We know that. Right. That so I'm doing that, well. the eight flips and the ski hits me in the back <laughs> of the head. And dad, being a loving, caring man, pulls the boat around and he starts <laughs> poking me with a paddle saying, are you okay? <laughs> and I'm laying there in the water going, go away. <laughs> he said, grab the rope. Uh-huh. I said, no, go away. I'm swimming back. He said, it's five miles. And it was about that far. We were pretty far down river. Yeah. And he said, no, grab the rope. I said, tell me one good reason why. And he said, because we're going to make your story about how you got back up, not how you fell down. He uh, said, don't get me wrong. I'm going to tell everybody how you fell down because it was hilarious. <laughs> 25, Dear old dad. 25 years later, I'm laying in bed on oxycodone or whatever the, the painkiller was. I just had half my side carved out, carved out because of cancer. Mm-hmm. My dad, he had cancer like a year before that. And I'm laying there and I'm dreaming of purple hippopotamus and all kinds of weird things. And I feel this pressure against my forehead. It's like a thumping feeling. And I'm thinking, this is a weird side effect. But I open my eyes and there's my dad leaning over me, poking me with his big fat finger. And I'm like, what are you doing? He said, get up. I said, I just had cancer surgery. He said, no, I'll help you up. We're going to walk around the block. And I said, why? He said, because we're going to make your story about how you beat cancer, not how you had cancer. When they made me part-time, I kept hearing my dad yell, grab the rope. It's not what happens to you. It's how you frame what happens to you. And I think sometimes we as a country, and I'm going to just get out my big Bob Ross big brush and paint some happy (laughs) trees here uh, to kind of paint with my big broad brush. But I think sometimes we lack resilience. And and yes, I could have catastrophized and said, it's not fair. I'm I'm 50 years old now. I should be able to play golf every day. Well, I had melanoma, so I shouldn't be playing golf. Obviously, sunshine's yeah. not my friend. But the point is, 
why all this happened, I don't know, but I'm glad it did because I was able to be able to learn that I could do other things. I could learn about, you know, I graduated with a marketing degree from UT. That was once again, my dad's doing, I'm giving dad a lot of props here, but he does deserve it. But mom too. But the fact that I was able to use my education to be able to figure out where I was going to go next. So why sit down and feel sorry about something saying, oh, it's an opportunity. That's just an amazing story. I mean, that is, I mean, that's very uplifting. I didn't know I was going to be crying today, but... um, I have that effect on women. (laughs) I make them all cry. My wife's like going, yeah, mm -hmm. I have to live with them. Okay, so I've got another kind of big question for you is when do you know that something that you've drawn is going to be a hit? I really don't. And that's weird. And I don't really... It's so funny because every newsroom now has a computer with, you know, looking for analytics and Google analytics and everything else. But I go with my gut. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think something might hit and it doesn't. The Barbara Bush, I didn't think would hit like it did. But yeah. what, like I said, I hit something bigger than what I thought I was hitting. And that's why mm-hmm. I say that was a God moment. Because the fact that it touched so many parents was why that cartoon did what it did. Yeah. But no, I, I have a sense. I did a Veterans Day cartoon a few days ago where literally it is the flag raising over Mount Suribachi by the Marines during yes. World War II on Iwo Jima. Mm-hmm. But I wrote the whole thing. It's a drawing and it looks like them, but the whole thing is made up of the word thank you. Yeah. I knew that was going to do well, but it was one of those things I didn't have faith in the drawing. I actually quit it six times because it was like taking me forever and I just did not have enough beer in the house to continue that drawing because it was taking me. For, and I have, I was the kid that grew up with the airplane model, uh-huh. with the wings that were bent down because I wouldn't let the glue dry. I'm not a man of patience. And so, but I kept thinking, I can't think of anything else. And it was like something kept pulling me back to that drawing. Mm-hmm. And when I got done with it, I was like, yeah. It was so funny. My son, who's, you know, we're up here for, he looked at it and he said, did you draw the flag? <laughs> It looked like a very precise flag. Yeah, no, the flag was perfect. But sometimes I think it's like, everybody's like, you can actually draw. I was like, yeah, I'm actually a pretty good artist. (laughs) I just don't don't use it as much anymore. (laughs) That's too funny. Well, let's talk a little bit too about the validation that had to have come when you got that first Pulitzer Prize nomination. And you've been nominated twice. Your career had taken kind of a lot of slings and arrows, rough start just to try to get going with it. When that announcement came down the pike toward you, what? how did you react to that? Of course, I know that your family was elated. I mean, it was a huge milestone, but what was that like? Well, not to sound like Eeyore, but if you ever watched the Oscars and looked at the faces of the people who lost... I now know how they yeah, feel. Because right, right. <laughs> when somebody else's name comes up, you're like, wah, wah. <laughs> it was wonder. It was wonderful. I'm but very, it, very proud of it. Well, and you yeah. know, like I said, it. I have on the top of my resume, I have a pretty cow contest judge, and then two time Pulitzer finalists. Those are two things I have on the top yeah, of my resume. Yeah. Because I'm proud about them. Yeah, you have to be. You absolutely have to be. The nine eleven cartoons that yes. you did. And when we talk about major things in our society that happen that are tragedies, whether it's, I mean, my gosh, we've had another school shooting this week, of course. When we talk about things that really impact the entire globe, though, like 9-11 did, and you're looking at a blank sheet of paper as to how do I capture this moment in a way that's going to appeal to humanity's better side, and serve as something that's going to uplift everybody and help us make some kind of productive sense out of how to go forward. I mean, 
when these tragic and horrible things in our society happen, what is that process like when you're looking at that blank sheet of paper? Well, here's what I was thinking of that day, because it's funny. I think most of you that are listening, can, if you were around and could not were old enough, you remember exactly where you were. Mm-hmm. So where did I actually teach a class at University of Mississippi, and all my students were in high chairs yeah. when that happened. Yeah. It just blows my mind. I know. 18 what, years ago. What I was doing is I remember watching it happen. I remember the second plane coming in. My wife and I were getting ready to go to work in school, and my oldest son, who's now 19, was in a high chair. And I kept thinking about what kind of world he was going to grow up in as we watched that second plane fly in. And I remember driving in, and everybody was doing 50 miles an hour on an interstate where they drive, normally drive 90. Gas was thirty-five. I walked into the newsroom. Everybody's sitting around the television crying as we were watching people jump out of buildings and dying right before our eyes. Then the first tower fell. And they're like, we're going to have to do an extra. We got to do, we got to come up with something pretty quick. I, I can't imagine the chaos in the news. Yeah. Room. And the second tower fell. And at that point, I'm looking at the blank piece of paper and I'm thinking, I don't want to be here. I want to be with my family because yeah. I don't, you know, yeah. the world's ending. Right? right. I didn't think that bin Laden was going to attack Jackson, Mississippi. I wasn't really that worried about that. Mm-hmm. But I just knew it was, there was going to be a monumental shift in, in what we were mm-hmm. as a people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, God, give me an idea. And then I look up at the screen. And there's a Statue of Liberty standing proudly in front of the smoke. And I just said, well, there's my idea. And I drew her with her head, her head buried in her hands, crying. Yeah. And it's funny because if you look at that artwork now, there's a silver lining on that black cloud that's coming off of Manhattan. Didn't see it at the time, but as all of the people were running away, there were people that were running toward mm-hmm. those buildings. Uh, the first responders. And I think as much evil has happened on that day. And, you know, I, the only plane in the sky is a book that just came out. It was um, kind of an oral history of 9-11. And I listened to it. It's really the first time I've been able to kind of grasp the humanity of yes. that day because yeah. it's just, it's too much. It is. It is. It's overwhelming. It's too much. Um, but I'm sitting there looking at that silver lining here now, 18 or whatever years later. And I think about how we came together as a country, mm-hmm. and it lasted for 10 minutes. My favorite cartoon I've ever done is of an eagle head made of Americans, just all co- uh-huh. different colors. And he said, United we stand. I live in Mississippi. We got hit by Hurricane Katrina. And you can say that that whole we're, we're together thing doesn't work. But when push comes to shove, we come together. I, I've got two older sisters. We drive each other crazy. Uh, but if they needed me right now, I'd put on my astronaut diaper and I'd drive to Atlanta and go help them. And <laughs> it, and that's w- the way we were for a yeah. very brief amount of time. Yeah. Now, yeah. obviously, the first responders paid a very definite price over time. They mm-hmm. got cancer. They, you know, Thankfully, as a country, we finally decided to take care right. of them. But that day, I'm sitting there trying to think of an idea, and that was the cartoon I came up with. I drew it in 30 minutes, and I went home because my family's what mattered the most. Yeah. You know, it's that aspect of being able to get into a creative process when you are not only under pressure, but in, I mean, under duress, really. Right. That's my superpower. Well, well, I will say that it would have to be because you've been in that environment. I mean, doing what you do, having to communicate within one panel, a one panel illustration with maybe just a little bit of phrasing tied to it and being able to convey an idea that is 
either uplifting in these you know terrible or tragic moments, or you're you're really making light of a whole different situation, like some kind of political fluke that happened or something that's crazy going on in your town or in in, in back in Jackson, where you're just trying to you know, really get a laugh and connect with people and get people to um, understand maybe a larger issue too, a societal issue. But doing that on deadline, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, but you've been doing it. That's that's that is well, that's what the you thing. do. Uh, do you worry about brushing your teeth every morning? You just do it. You just do it. Yeah. And and I've run two marathons. I've run a bunch of half marathons. Right now, I get winded tying my shoes. Creativity is like running a marathon. You 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 do go in every day. Creativity is like exercise. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Right. And it's like a mindset. I, like I said, I, I didn't mean to sound cocky because believe me, I can be self-effacing as well as anybody, but. There are a lot of people who outdraw me, and there's a lot of people who outthink me. But what my gift is, whether I have cancer or whether 9-11 is happening or whether Hurricane Katrina is blowing trees down on my house, I can come up with an idea no matter how hard I'm pushed. The only thing that I think really seems to bother me is fatigue, which I got a lot of it right now. I mean, I do a lot of traveling with my job now, but that's that's the only thing. But that adrenaline of when something happens is uh-huh. what gives me the ability to be creative. Yeah. You know, what you just said now that what you can really bring to the table when you're in a pinch, that reminded me so much about a Pat Summit quote that she always said, you know, someone may always be more talented than me or X, 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 you know, fill in the blank, but no one is ever going to outwork me. Oh, no kidding. No, and tell, tell us your uh, Pat Summit story, because I recently found out that you had a, had some really nice interactions with her when you were a student. Yeah. Tell us about that. It was totally random. Okay, so the Daily Beacon office is in the communications building, which is right, kind of right next to Thompson Bowling Arena. So they'd had... I mean, I basically needed to eat, which most people do when I was working there, and they put in a little cafeteria in Thompson Bowling Arena. So I would go down there after I drew my cartoon in the afternoon, and it would be empty. And one day I noticed that Pat Summit was like sitting over in the corner. Legendary coach of the the Lady Vols. And so I didn't bother to talk to her because she's Pat Summit, and I'm Marshall Ramsey. I'm a student. So why would I talk to her? Well, I did that like two or three times, and she kind of noticed me. One day she just kind of called me over there. She said, sit down. Yes, ma'am. So I sat yeah. down. She looked at me and she said, tell me about yourself. And I told her about myself. She and said, she was so direct. She too. really she, was. She could really intimidate. No, she too. really was, but she was kind. Yeah. I mean, but she yeah. was very firm. And she said, yeah. so um, tell me what you do. And I told her. And she said, oh, I love your cartoons. I love the ones you did about the championship because they just won the national championship. And because yeah. um, she had noticed me. I was like, oh, she likes me. Oh, I was doing is, my Sally yeah. Field, you know. <laughs> she liked me. They like me. And so she said, okay, so what are you willing to sacrifice to do it? Whoa. I'm like, okay, this is getting heavy quick. And, you know, and I thought about that when I was working as a janitor. You know, I was thinking, okay, what what would Pat want me to do? Mm-hmm. And so when she passed away, I did a cartoon having her yeah. cutting down the net in heaven. Right. And awesome. So we made some prints and we were able to raise a little bit of money for the... Because ta- my dad had dementia at that point. Yeah. And so yeah. it meant a lot to me personally. But no, she... To take time and to care. And we're talking today on the tour. I was talking with um, one of the gentlemen from the College of Communications and how you never know when somebody is going to make a difference in your life mm-hmm. randomly. And, and, you know, I've got five students with my class. I mean, they're, they're great. They give me a hard time. I give them a hard time. And I try to teach them a little bit about professionalism. But 
they make a difference in my life. And I hope that someday that when they look back and they say, you know, Marsha Ramsey actually helped me out a little yeah. bit here. So yeah. uh, on that, but yeah, yeah she, she's great. Love her, miss her. Um, yeah. What a legend. Yeah. She was an incredible legend. And, um, I want to bring up one aspect too of the journalism profession. Now kind of switch gears a little bit. The journalism profession is under fire a lot, under a lot of criticism a lot, and we're going into another presidential election year. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, fun times. I don't think the airbags are going to deploy this time either. <laughs> That's right. I would probably agree with you. But one thing that I, and recently I noticed, of course, with the museum in Washington, D.C., it's closing. and Yeah, the, the property value is more important. Yeah, than, yeah, exactly. One of the things that I regret the most about that and having visited that museum every time that I was in D.C. is that they had an incredible display there uh, memorializing what I think are thousands of journalists who have been killed right. in the line of their duty in reporting the news, either while reporting the news or for reporting the news, which are two different things. I mean, you can lose your life while reporting the news, especially in a, in a war zone, but then this whole thing of retribution and retaliation for having reported the news. And we, you know, we're just in that kind of, you know, world situation where, of course, I mean, retribution and retaliation has been part of what's been exacted against journalists, I guess, since the dawn of news media, but I the suppose. Cap the captains turn on the no joking sign. Well, that's true. Yeah. Everybody's lost their sense yeah. of humor. They've yeah. lost their mind, too, yeah. but they've lost their sense of humor. Well, and there's also a lot of perceived politicization, too, on both sides. Like, is it Fox News? Are they really telling the news? Or are they always in every single instance putting a conservative bent on it. Same thing with right. MSNBC. Or the, so there's this, there's confusion. And right. I think... Yeah, nobody knows yeah. what journalism... And I right. can post something on Facebook, and I've got a pretty good audience. And right. I'll post something about the media, and if I defend them, because, well, obviously I've been in the middle of the trenches for a long time, everybody comes after me, but they don't come after me for the right reasons. They think that, like, Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow are journalism, mm -hmm. but... No, they're kind of entertaining their opinion. Yeah, they're right. you know it's, it's they, editorial. It's, it's editorial. It's, it's opinion right. editorial. And, and that's why I say people get mad when they're like, "How dare you?" You know, have bias in your editorial cartoons. I'm like, um, it's opinion editorial. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly. <laughs> see, and, and you see the yeah, public, I mean, and I think that we have a lot of, and of course we've called this podcast misinterpreted for a reason. We're trying to dispel myths and misunderstandings in the public about a lot of things. And one of these things I'll is admit in right now, I have an agenda every day. It's sent to me on a fax machine because obviously we don't have internet. And somebody sends me a fax machine tells me what to draw every day from, from headquarters. <laughs> See, that's how yeah, stupid right. that is. I mean, it's like, come on. <laughs> I mean, most of these conspiracy <laughs> theories, you're like, dude, take the full yeah, hat off. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but, too, but the public doesn't understand. They don't know. I, I mean, very often we, we've got, you know, very educated folks coming out of colleges and universities very often who don't understand the roles or the, you know, those delineations in, well, what's in news the news. Now? Right. Yeah. And, and the thing yeah. is, and this is a larger societal question. Well, and, and even beyond the Fox, CNN, or MSNBC debate, I mean, now you can get what you want when you want it whenever, yeah. right? Yeah. So the point is, you're, you're sitting there saying, okay, there's an algorithm out there that sees everything you click on. So on your Facebook feed, you're going to get exactly what you want to read. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that stuff can be stuff that's literally made out of 
you know, out of thin air. Mm -hmm. So it's not really journalism and you think it's news. And so guess what? You're going to base your opinions and your facts on that. And I'm not making fun of anybody on that, but we've just gotten so fractured as a media mm -hmm. because it used to be obviously, and I'm not pining for the good old days. I love social media and I love, oh, I, do too. I love it's, the technology. It's great. I mean, I love the fact that we're yeah. sitting right now having a podcast and there's actually somebody listening to it and we right. can talk about different things that are interesting. But the thing is, you know, back in the day, we would have a newspaper that generally was, okay, you have your opinion stuff on the editorial page. Over here, you have a journalist that's digging up stuff that's going on in your city council that mm -hmm. matters. I have a very wise relative of mine who owns a car dealership that funds <laughs> his local newspaper because he yeah. wants it to be around yeah. so that it can still provide the deal. So at the end of the day, I think the people that benefit of a fractured and destroyed media are the people who are in power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and my only advice to anybody who's listening on when somebody says, oh, this person is fake news or whatever, consider the person who's saying it, what their agenda is, and why they might be saying it. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, I have no agenda at this point. I mean, I have opinions, and, yeah. and they show up in my cartoons, but I have no power. So just always look for truth to power and try to, to hold the people accountable. And it doesn't matter if they're Republican or they're Democrats. Think about why they're doing it and why this is happening and see beyond the party label. Mm -hmm. And that is so hard for people right yes, now. Because, it is. Because here's the thing. You and I even might disagree on, mm -hmm. on some things politically. Mm -hmm. I think you're the best. And I really like you as a human being. Well, thank you. So why why would I be insane enough to hate you? Because you well, and I yeah. dis might disagree yeah. on yeah. a subject politically. But that's where we are that's now. That's where we are. We're yeah. completely tribalized. Yeah, and, and it's uh, and it's strangers hating strangers is the thing. Exactly. Too. And Keyboard warriors on the right. on the social. Have you ever been faced with a threat? Yes. From Tell, oh, us, yeah. tell us about that. Well, the day of the Mississippi flag vote, Mississippi has a Confederate battle flag on its state flag, and there was a vote to change it, and I was for changing it. I, mm -hmm. I love Civil War history. Don't get me wrong. I grew up in the shadow of Kennesaw Mountain in the Battle of Atlanta, and I can mm -hmm. tell you who fought which battles mm -hmm. and everything yeah. else. Unfortunately, I just felt like it's time to change that and retire yeah. to a museum. Yes. So that was just Except, my personal right. opinion. I was getting threats throughout the day. And then my doctor called me at 530, and he said, you have cancer. So I started oh laughing. Word. I started laughing. Why like, does everything happen at the same time in your life? Like I, I this? just do this, not this do anything dull. Yeah, that's why I drink a lot. Go right? big or go home. Well, I just said, I started laughing. He said, why are you laughing? I said, this is the nicest phone call I've had all day. I don't take it too seriously. And I do have some people that get on me in social media a little bit. And I always tell people, just remember that social media is not real all the time mm -hmm. because you never know. I mean, it's like people just dive into arguments with people that might be a bot or that might be yes. some total... You never yes. know. You yeah. just, so it's kind of... People are like, why don't you like defend yourself? I said, well, that person can't figure out how to put their face on an av avatar yet on Twitter and they have four <laughs> followers. So why should I give them my platform and waste yeah. four hours of my life screaming at somebody that mm -hmm. I don't even know is a real human being? Right. Discernment, it matters. <laughs> okay. This is my example and I'm going to try to do this in a PG way. So you're standing by a stream, right? Mm -hmm. And a a human waste floats mm -hmm. by. Mm -hmm. Do you reach down and grab it or you just look at it and let it float by? That's the way a lot of tweets are on Twitter because You're just you can full just full of great them. metaphors. <laughs> that one is a little hard to talk about in public, but it but I think there's a Point lot of well taken. But though. there's a lot of truth to it. Why yeah. do you have to pick a fight with every single fight that comes mm -hmm. along? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, you have to know when to say when. Um, oh, I've learned that. I've been married twenty six years, man. <laughs> I know which, I know when to say yes, dear. That's right. Okay, well, let's talk about personal branding. Yes. Because when you spoke earlier about your need to turn a negative into a positive and turn the lemons into lemonade, a big part of that was. A, a, on a very conscious level, developing your personal brand. Yes. Clearly, you already had a brand. It was associated with Gannett. It was associated with the work you were you know, doing for the Clarion Ledger at the time in Jackson. But you had to take that to the next level and then the next level above that. So it's sort of the holy grail, I think, in career development nowadays, and especially with the advent of social media. People want to, you know, that's an idea of in this era of job insecurity and never being able to necessarily count on where your next paycheck is coming from, this idea of developing your own reputation as a professional such that you are in demand regardless. So. What has been your process there, and what has been kind of the secret sauce for you on that? Um, number one, I'm reinventing myself every single day, so I can't yeah. I can't say that anything I'm about to tell you is yeah. worthy of a textbook. I, you know, I think the fact that I got that marketing degree, thank you, Dad. Um, mm-hmm. I did do college of communications, and I did not make it into the upper classes because I could not pass the typing test. But I still love the College of Communications, but I ended up taking marketing classes, and and that turned out to be a very smart move because I've always kind of bounced between the advertising and the editorial side on that. And when I moved to Mississippi, I learned something very important that, and this is true in Mississippi, but I think it's true everywhere. If people don't know you in Mississippi, they don't pay attention to you. And the quickest way for me to get known was to go out and talk to every civic club I could and to volunteer and to do things out in the community. Mm-hmm. And in the process, that was building a brand. And I didn't realize it until I was made part-time and suddenly I had to fall back on that. Well, I had been an early adopter on Twitter and Facebook that's boy, that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But I had built up, you know, I mean, I've got like 61,000 Twitter mm-hmm. followers. So, I mean, right. I've, you know, probably between my two Facebook accounts, that might reach 50,000 people if, if the algorithm's on a good day. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have a lot of people that like and follow me. So, anyway, I had people that were following me. And I would just try to put myself out there as honestly as I could. And I think Mm -hmm. people are kind of voyeurs. They want to know who you are. They want to know the backstory. And it's very hard because there's a balance between putting too much of your family out there, which they're not, they didn't sign up for this. So, I mean, I don't, I used to probably put more than I should. But at the end of the day, I just kind of try to tell the backstory of who I am and try to just, and, once again, it goes back if people feel like they know you, they will pay attention to It's the human to, factor. Right, because they want to say, what, what does Marshall think about this? Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes I probably am boring. I don't know. I, I mean, I fall Never. asleep in the chair at 5 o'clock at night. <laughs> Are you boring? But it's that, that personal, that's hum, that human connection. I think that's what develops the trust. Yeah. And that's what our society so often is lacking nowadays. And even in so, so many personal relationships, it's that trust of uh, kind of knowing where somebody stands yes, on something. But don't try to be something online that you're not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ask Tiger Woods about that. He got yeah. a nine iron in his back window of his car. And don't ask Lance Armstrong about that. Yeah. I admire Lance yeah. Armstrong for what he did with cancer. I mean, th- that's yeah. incredible. Do I admire how Lance Armstrong handled things? No. But mm-hmm. Lance Armstrong, unfortunately, was up on a pillar, and then he got knocked off. So mm-hmm. you cannot put yourself out there on social media and brand yourself as something you are not. Mm-hmm. And I have to be very careful about that. I mean, today, I I was not adulting well, and I left a really nasty email with somebody, and I called them back, and I apologized because I said, that was not me. I was I overreacted, and I mm-hmm. apologized. You yeah. know? Humility. I think that, that that's helps. A, that is a big part of, uh, I think— 
being able to bring your human self to relationships and, and admitting if you make a mistake or you, you know, yeah, it was a bad day for me or, and I think that is the part that so many people nowadays, they just don't want to have to admit that they made a mistake because, oh gosh, if my mistake gets out, then it's on social media yeah. and I'm branded with it. It's like they cannot bring the humility to the table. But you and know, the it, funny yeah. thing about us as a country is that we are very forgiving. If the person, I, yeah. if the person comes forward and says, you know what? I screwed up. If I'm it's sorry. authentic. If it's authentic. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm sorry, I lied. I didn't mean to. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can't do that because people are like, okay. That's maybe not authentic. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring up any former president. That's no, all right. It's all I'm right. Sorry, well, Hillary. you just know how I love him. Uh, anyway. oh, I do because he's great for cartoons. <laughs> That's right. uh, even without sound effects. Okay, one of my I last have questions. So many skills. Uh, exactly. Know? I know you are really good at that. Who is your hero? Charlie Daniel. Tell us about that. Well, I mean, my mom and dad too, but Charlie Daniel. Okay, so and for our listeners out of market from Knoxville, no, everyone in Knoxville knows who Charlie Daniel is. Charlie but, Daniel yeah. is not the fiddle player. He is the <laughs> recently laid off editorial cartoonist from the New Sentinel. He had been the editorial cartoonist in Knoxville for sixty years. Mm-hmm. Sixty years. He came here in nineteen fifty-eight. Charlie Daniel is wow. the editorial cartoonist. He um, was recently awarded a Governor's Arts Awards by the governor of state of Tennessee, the yes. first cartoonist ever to receive that award. Wow. Charlie, my first experience with him, I would read the Knoxville Journal where he was at the time when I was in school, and I would see that cartoonist, and I was like, oh, he's okay, you know, because I was cocky <laughs> and I was stupid. And my sophomore speech teacher told me I needed to go interview somebody who did, did what I wanted to do. So I hoof myself from UT all the way to downtown Knoxville, probably 15-minute walk. Yes. And I, I knock on his door. He's sitting in the morgue. That's where his office was, which for those of you, the morgue is not where they put bodies. It's where they put old newspapers. And Charlie said, sure, sit down. And he spent an hour with me on deadline and asked <sighs> me all kinds of questions about myself and everything else. And I get a call from I him. I mean, sight unseen, he had not met been, you. He had not seen it, your yeah. work? No, or? he'd seen my work. Okay, he knew he'd who seen I your was. Work. But, okay, but, okay. But he was, he was busy, and but he took the time to speak to me. And so I get a call from him. I'd left him my number. I get a call from him. He said, hey, um, Patsy and I would love you to, his wife would love you to come over to have dinner with us. Oh, okay. So yeah. I drive over and he lives up on a giant hill. So I'd have to put a brick under my tire so my car <laughs> wouldn't roll down the hill. And, and I had dinner with him. And one day he came up to me and said, you know, we're going to the a convention, a cartoonist convention out in Memphis. And how would you like to ride with us? Okay, that'd be wow. great. So he helped what an me, opportunity. Yeah, the Association of American Editorial Cartoonists. So uh-huh. he helped me get involved with that. And, you know, the thing is, here's a guy that he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do any of that. And he, he literally showed me how to have a career because you can't get it. You don't get an editorial cartooning degree. It's not like, uh, oh yeah, I have my, you know, you learn by watching other people. Well, I was fortunate enough to learn somebody who realized you give back to your community and that's Mm -hmm. how you make a difference. Mm -hmm. And Charlie's a very special guy. I mean, he was a Marine during the Korean war. He was in Arlington and the Marine commandant came through and he said, only good Marine is a Marine that's in Korea. So, they all got suddenly sent out to Camp Pendleton and they were shipped down to San Diego, about ready to get on the troop ship to go to Korea. Charlie's stuff was on board and suddenly he sees a fight. It's one of his people and his squad started beating up the, the sergeant. 
and Charlie witnesses it. So they pull the MPs come or the SPs or whoever come and, and grab Charlie and pull him aside so he can be a witness for the trial. Well, Charlie had six months left in the Marines before he was going to get out. So basically he was waiting around for the court martial. Well, in the meantime, most of his, uh, and I'm to the Marines out there, simplify, I apologize. I'm going to get this wrong, but most of the people in his unit were killed. Wow. And so Charlie figured out wow. later on that at the moment that he witnessed the fight, that his fiance or his girlfriend, I think his fiance at the time, who's now his wife, Patsy's church was praying for him, for his safety. And so that at that moment, you know, Charlie's life was put on another trajectory. And <laughs> Charlie is, he'll turn 90 in December. Yeah. He still goes to the UT ball games and drives and, you know, and he, my son, and this is probably the nice, I've got one son that's named after him. And one of my sons just realized, he said, Dad, he said, you know, the thing I like about Charlie is he's in the now. Yeah. And that's probably yeah. about the nicest compliment I can say for you. But yeah, yeah he's a huge hero. He's who I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. I, I can't believe after all these years of living in this community, I finally got the chance to meet him in person. Thanks to you, the night the University of Tennessee gave you the Professional Alumni Award the other night, uh, not too long ago. But that was a that was very meaningful to me. What a story! Wow. Yeah. And and final question: This podcast episode is going to be airing right as the holiday season is getting underway. Yes. And I'd like to ask you what you're thankful for. Oh my gosh! Um, every morning I go run. Usually I get up. Four o'clock if I'm doing the boot camp, five o'clock if I'm just running. Yeah. I have to admit, sometimes I sleep late. I see the sun come up, mm-hmm. and I'm grateful that I get another day. And Because sometimes my scar burns where the, the cancer was, and, and the cancer tends to come back. So I'm always grateful I'm still here. I sometimes struggle with being thankful, and I'll be the first to admit that. I'll be very honest with that. I've got this fight or flight thing going in me right now that I'm trying to learn to shut off because it Uh keeps me constantly in a state of panic. But at the end of the day, I'm very grateful for my wife, who probably at times is completely sick of me, um, (laughs) which, you know, I mean, I can understand why. I'm sure she would beg to differ with that. She's she's good people. She married, she met me and, and married me even though I was a janitor. So she had great faith in me, and I hope I haven't let her down too badly. She's and a beautiful person she, in every way. She's got her moments. She really does. I'm, <laughs> she's okay. And, and you know, I always tell people if I hadn't had that worst moment of being a janitor, because her mom worked there and set me up with her. That's how oh, I met her. Wow. I wouldn't have had the four yeah. best moments because my boys all look very much like her, yeah. which is a good thing. Um, and I'm very thankful for my boys. Yeah. And, and everything else is just gravy. Yeah. Well, this has been great. It's been a wonderful conversation. I am very thankful myself that you were with us today. And this is just great for you to actually be here in town and be able to join us here in studio. Yeah, you're pretty good at this whole podcast and stuff. (laughs) Well, jury's still out on it, but we're uh, we're getting more listeners as we're going forward and really enjoying the process because we're getting to delve into some really interesting subjects and getting to talk to some really interesting people. Well, there's so much to talk about right now. There is. And I was just talking about today, I I was thinking about my career and, you know, like I said, I'm probably at the age where I should be playing golf every day, but it's like, I love it because every day, okay, so there was a couple year period there where my parents got sick. So I yeah. literally was focused on them, not on, and I went, came back and I realized everything I knew about social media was dated. Yeah. I mean, just two years. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. I mean, you, you can't blink uh, no. or look away for a minute. It's, it is an ongoing thing. I mean, you can thing. build a 60,000, uh, 
you know, following over here and suddenly that platform is bought out and closes down. Right, right. You know, it's it's like, like all your eggs in one basket is kind of scary, yeah, isn't it? So, but it's it's also exciting. And well, just like being on this podcast. Well, was. thank you, Marshall. We appreciate you. And um, best wishes to your son and his looking at all the different college options and everything. I keep whispering in his ear when he sleeps, ACT. <laughs> It'll work its magic just like everything else yes. does. Yes, <laughs> scholarship. <laughs> right. you know. Well, thank, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. And to our listeners, please join Marshall's more than 61,000 followers on Twitter at Marshall Ramsey. You'll be glad you did. Uplifted every day, just as I have been during this conversation, as well as cracking more than a few smiles from his wit and wisdom. Marshall, incidentally, is also editor-at-large of Mississippi Today, and that, as he mentioned during the interview, a nonprofit newsroom with a mission of civic engagement and public dialogue through the service, journalism, live events, and digital outreach. And you can follow them at at MS Today News. Don't forget to follow the Misinterpreted podcast and social media as well. And great news, y'all. Kelly will be back next week, blessedly, so you're not stuck with me running the joint. And whether she's in the Big Apple or back here in Big Orange Country, you can follow Kelly on Twitter, too, at KD Fletcher, and that's KD as in Kelly Dawn. Please follow the agency at Fletcher PR and follow me at Mary Beth West. We will respond to your questions and comments, so please post them using the hashtag Misinterpreted. That's hashtag MSinterpreted. And for visibility's sake, don't forget to capitalize the PR. Our thanks to our sound engineer, Chris Hill of Knoxville-based HumblePod at HumblePod.com. Thank you, listeners. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time 